Hello, Podrishners. Greg Boyd here, Senior Pastor of Woodland Hills Church. I apologize for sounding like a frog, but I've been hacking the last couple days, so I think it's kind of sexy, and my wife does too, so who cares what you think about it? Anyways, this is the final week that I'll be asking you to consider supporting our 2019 Sustain campaign. Our goal this year is 400 sustainers, and we're getting pretty close, but we're not quite there yet. You can learn more at whchurch.org sustain. I always get choked up when I'm talking about this. It just moves me deeply. Anyways, Paul, who evidently fancies himself to be the Woodland Hills heresy police guy, uh, he read a few testimonies from sustainers last week, and I wanted to share another one with you. Uh, this one's from Joshua in Ohio. He says this, Thank you for making these sermons available. We currently reside in a rural village, and while we have a vibrant community at our local congregation, we love supplementing their messages with yours. Your sermons have helped shape our lives and our faith. We listen every week, so we thought it's about time that we uh, contribute weekly. Thank you, seriously. Your sermons and resources have been a theological lifeline to us. Uh, Joshua, thanks so much for that letter. I just love getting letters like that. Uh, it's an honor to for us to have a voice into your lives. And it's really incredible that we're able to spread the DNA of Woodland Hills Church around the world through our messages. So please, if you listen regularly, we'd really like you to prayerfully consider uh, supporting us uh, and helping us hit our goal this year. Our sustainers are one of the main reasons we're able to offer our sermons for free. So it really does make a huge difference. Just go to whchurch.org sustain. You can sign up for a weekly or a monthly contribution, and we'll get your info so we can send you one of our 2019 Podrishner t-shirts which are always really cool looking. It's kind of a thank you gift. Thanks, everybody. Now for this weekend's message from our good friend, Dan Kent. God bless. I'm just going to pray really quick. Heavenly Father, please bless us and be with us as we come together to praise you and to seek you and to grow ever closer to who you made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, thank you for being here. I, uh, I preached my first sermon here in March. Was anybody here for that? Oh, cool. Awesome. Uh, I did that sermon on a book I, I have been writing. It's called Confident Humility. It comes out June 11th. It's available for pre-order now. Uh, that one, I took, I took eight years to write that book. And so in a sense, it took me eight years to write that sermon. <laughs> this is my second sermon. And I had eight days. <laughs> so according to my math, that means that that sermon should be 365 times better than this one. Sorry about that. If this is your first time here, you picked the wrong week to come. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. The, the, seriously, though, the topic that I want to talk about today is something that I've been wrestling with and, and pursuing and uh, studying and thinking about for years and years since I first became a Christian when I was just a wee little 18-year-old, actually, about like that big. Uh, and so uh, I have a lot of stuff to say on this. In fact, I spent the last 16 hours uh, kind of cutting this down from four sermons into one. <laughs> so I actually have three extra sermons, which I'm happy to sell for cheap if anybody needs a couple <laughs> extra sermons. But we are in a series called Take Heart, and it's about encouragement. And Sandra kicked the series off with a bang. Did anybody hear that sermon? Yeah. Holy cow. Man, that was amazing. If you haven't heard that sermon, I highly, highly encourage you, and I'm way up here, so highly, highly encourage you to go and watch that sermon because it is very powerful. Sandra lets us in on this profound discouragement that her brother is experiencing. 
Her brother Jerry has this disorder called uh, complex regional pain syndrome, and it has just taken so much from him. And, uh, and so he's been profoundly discouraged, and Sandra does such a great job of letting us in on what that is like, and she lets us in on all of the lessons that Jerry ha- has been teaching her about being with somebody who is discouraged. And therefore, we get those lessons too, and, and I highly recommend that. Uh, Greg and David also talked about encouraging people who are in a, a very discouraging situation. Um, I want to go in a different direction a little bit. I want to talk about being encouraged. Uh, I want to talk about like day-to-day life sort of encouragement. Because I was thinking about this, what, you know, because it was such a profound sermon that Sandra gave. Um, I was thinking, why is it so tragic? I mean, obviously it's tragic, but there's something about this particular case that was particularly tragic. And, and what it was is that there was just so much taken from Jerry. It was the stuff that happened before he got sick that made his sickness so tragic. He... This guy, he like overflowed with health, with vitality, with uh, energy, and people were just drawn to this guy, and he built them up, and he enriched their lives, and all of that was taken from him, and it was just, it's just not fair. It's not fair that it happened, and he is in this profoundly discouraging situation because of it. And the fact is, is that we will all experience situations of profound discouragement. Uh, Jesus even says this in, in John sixteen thirty three. He says, take heart, this is what the series is based on, take heart, for I have overcome the world. But right before that, he says, you will have sorrow and trials. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute, you just said, take heart, take over the world. But he doesn't deny the fact that we're still going to have profound discouragement. And so that's very real, and we're all going to experience that. But I believe that not everyone experiences the fullness of life that Jerry experienced before he met his disorder. I believe that a lot of people go through life with sort of a chronic discouragement. It's like this low-level chronic discouragement. And, and that's what I want to focus on today, is, is just the day-to-day life type of discouragement. Uh, because a lot of times that stuff just eats away at us. And, and, uh, and I want to look at that. So to do so, I want to use uh, Sandra's, um, Sandra's definition of discouragement, which I think is, is right on. She says that discouragement is when we have no courage, no hope, and we have no confidence that anything that we do is going to help our situation. When we feel that way, we feel powerless. You know, there's, and we feel there's this pervasive spirit of can't. I can't do anything about this. And so you have this powerlessness and this pervasive spirit of can't. So this may come as a surprise to you, but uh, encouragement is the opposite of that. Encouragement is when we feel courageous, when we can face our situations, when we feel hopeful, and when we feel confident that we can do something about our circumstance. When we feel encouraged, we feel empowered. We feel a pervasive spirit of can. And so, in order to look at becoming more encouraged and becoming more encouraging, uh, those are the two things that I want to look at. How do we establish a spirit of can and how do we embark on a journey of empowerment? Um, I, uh, the, I'm calling this sermon Inside Out Encouragement. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to do. The first thing is establishing a spirit of can. Now, before talking about a spirit of can, I want to talk for a minute about can't. 
um, because it's kind of a complex thing. Uh, can't can work in multiple ways. It's possible you could be in a situation like Jerry is, where there just literally is nothing that the doctors can do, there's nothing that anybody can do, and it just sucks. And there's nothing good about it, and there's no power that anybody has over the situation, and that's why it breaks our heart. And, and that's genuine powerlessness, and that leads to a genuine, justified, pervasive feeling of can't. And that's how that works, from that sucky situation to this spirit of can't. But here's the thing is, that can work in the other direction too. You can have a spirit of can't that causes you to become passive, and if you're passive, you become powerless, and eventually you become discouraged. And we've all experienced this experience of, of believing that you can't and then becoming passive. We've all have, especially in Minnesota here. If you've ever driven your car on the icy roads in the wintertime, if you've ever lost control and hit something, like a mailbox or a snowman or something or a parked car, you've experienced this. Because what happens in these experiences is they're all the same. We all experience it the same. We feel the car slipping and we take as much action as we can, as much proaction as we can to stop the car from hitting whatever it is we're going to hit. We tap the brakes or we slam on the brakes if we're new here. <laughs> if, if we're new at this whole driving on ice thing, we just, ah, like that, and that never helps. Um, or we yank the wheel away from the object. Or if that doesn't work, we lean away from the object. <laughs> that doesn't work either. <laughs> or we pray, which I hope sometimes works. But there's some distinct point when we're sliding towards that thing that we realize that all of the stuff that we're doing, nothing is going to help. And at that point, our whole spirit changes. Our whole way of thinking changes. We go from active effort to solve the problem to passive self-defense. We extend our legs. We grab the armrest. We cover our eyes. We turn our head. We stop trying. When we believe that we can't, we stop trying. When we believe that we can't, we stop trying. Why wouldn't we stop trying? When we believe that we can't, we don't. Why would we? When we believe that we can't, we become passive. It's just natural. It's inevitable. It, it doesn't make sense to do anything else. Now, sometimes we have this spirit of can't for good reason and because it comes from our situation that is genuinely powerless. But I believe a lot of times we bring a spirit of can't with us into situations that we could actually do something in. And that leads to what I think... Um, well, it's, it is. It's not what I think. It's what social scientists call learned helplessness. And uh, this concept emerged in the 1960s uh, based on this research that kind of makes me mad. But the research was very good, but the study kind of ticks me off. So let me just say that. Uh, Martin Seligman and I are going to have a long sit-down talk if we ever get to heaven together. But what they did in the 1960s is they made these little playpens for these dogs. And the dogs were fine, but they were just mean to the dogs. And they made these little playpens with these cardboard walls. And then at this side of the playpen, there was a door for the dog to go in and out. And then there was like this metal grate on the bottom of the playpen. And so when Martin would flick the switch, the little grate would have these little tiny electrical currents and would give these little shocks to the dog's paws. And the dog would jump and get the heck out of there because it's like, this is a terrible playpen. <laughs> There's not even any toys in here and it shocks me and then I'm out of here. But this is where it gets mean. Then there was another playpen, exactly the same as that one, but there's no door. And he would put the dogs in there, flick the switch, and the dog would jump and yelp, 
but there's no place for him to go. So eventually the dog would lay down and just whimper and just take it. Um, and then what Martin did is he took those dogs and put them in the one with the door and flicked the switch, assuming, of course, that as soon as I flick this, they're going to jump out of there. But they didn't. They had learned that there's no point in even trying. They just laid down and they took it, even though there was a door right here. There's a door right there. They could have just run out. But they learned that they were helpless and they just took it. And I think that we can do the same thing. We can believe that we can't, maybe because we failed, maybe because we had parents who told us all of our lives that you're worthless or whatever. There's a thousand reasons that we can believe that we can't, even when a lot of times we probably can. Uh, And so what I'm saying is that Man, it's dangerous when you believe that you can't. You're a dog. You could go out right there, but instead you sit and take it and you let your life get worse. It's dangerous to believe that you can't when you can. And so you have to defend your can. (laughs) You have to protect whatever can you have. You have to protect that. What's really tragic is sometimes the church can fuel a spirit of can't. Um, And maybe you've heard this before, but people who will say, you have to trust God for everything. And that sounds really, really good because we're Christians. And as Christians, our core posture, our fundamental act is to trust God. But when you ask these people, trust God for everything, what they say is, you have to trust God for everything because I can't trust myself for anything. I can't trust myself for anything. See that can't language right in there. I can't trust myself for anything, so I have to trust God for everything. I encourage you to think about this. Does God want to be trusted for everything? Isn't it possible that God could create a world in which case he didn't want to be trusted for everything? There are some things we have to trust God for. There's no way around it. We have to trust God for our salvation. We can't save ourselves. We have to trust that God will save us, and he says that he will. Uh, We can't trust ourselves to secure ourselves. We have to trust that God loves us with an unsurpassable love. That unsurpassable love is what makes us secure. It makes us invulnerable to anything that the world can give us because we are loved by God with an unsurpassable love. I can't secure myself from out of my own psyche, from out of my own brain. I need an objective source of that security. So I have to trust that God will secure me. But there are lots of things that we have to trust God for. And for those things, we have to trust God totally, 100%. But there are some things that we simply can't trust God for. There are some things because of the way he made us that we can't trust him for directly. For one, uh, Jesus tells us to love one another. I, if I love you, that has to come for me. Now, there's, there's some types of, we, we, love is complicated. <laughs> it, it, you know that. I mean, like I love, I love this cola-flavored kombucha. It's so good. I love it. it but the reason why I love it, I didn't love it before I tried it. I loved it as soon as I tasted it. I'm like, man, that's good. It re- I reacted with love when I tasted it. You might meet some friends, man, I love those guys, we just click. It's like once I met them, then the reaction I had was love. Uh, I might, you know, when I was single, I would say, wow, she's great, I love her. Even though I don't know anything about her other than she looks good. I just have this reaction, oh, I love her. But the love that God calls us to is not reactive like that. It's a totally different kind of love. It's a chosen love. 
We have to choose it. And somebody else can't make that choice for me. When somebody else loves for me, it's something else. It's not love. When somebody comes through me to love something, that's some type of weird, creepy violation type thing. That's not love. Like, if you and I, let's say we go out, you, you, we're just getting to know each other, and so I want to meet your spouse and you want to meet mine, so we get together, so let's get together for coffee. So I show up with my partner, who happens to be a mannequin named Margo, okay? And you see this, you and your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you see this, you're not going to think, oh, that's so precious. You're going to think, this guy is weird. We got to get the heck out of here, you know? I mean, because I can't, that's not love. Margo, tell me how much you love me. I love you, Dan. You're great. Oh, Margo, do you love me? Yes, Dan, I love you. That's not love. You, in order for there to be love, there has to be some type of autonomous entity. There has to be some type of person with say-so who can choose to love. Humility is no different. When Jesus says to humble yourselves, that he means it. You have to do it yourself. Because when somebody else makes you humble, that's not humility. That's humiliation. It's a totally different thing. There's a lot of things like this, and um, uh, this is just a list. This is not intended to read everything word for word, and if you're listening, the parishioners, it's just a list of commands that you find in the New Testament. These are all things that God expects us to do, and he calls us to do. And, um, and so, for instance, to bear with each other, and to avoid godless chatter, and to live in peace, and to encourage the disheartened. Really, these are just love and humility, what they look like in day-to-day life. And so when God calls us to do them, this is what it looks like. And so these are things that we're not supposed to trust God for. He put them in our laps for us to do. Uh, this is what love and humility sort of look like. Uh, there's uh, a passage, one of my favorite parables, and a lot of the parables follow this same model, by the way, but my favorite example of it is the bags of gold parable in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. In this parable, the God person, who is this rich guy, goes on a journey. He goes away. But before he goes away, he gives his three servants some power. He gives them bags of gold. He gives the first guy five bags of gold, the second guy two bags of gold, and then the third guy, he gives them one bag of gold, according to their ability. And then he goes away. And the guy with five bags of gold immediately goes out and starts investing the gold, and he doubles it. He gets ten bags of gold out of his five. And then the, the guy with two bags of gold, he goes out and starts investing it and he gets two more. He doubles it too. The third guy went and buried the gold. He covered it up with dirt and God comes back and says, what did you do with the power I gave you? And the first two went out and did something with it and invested it. And the third guy said, I trust God for everything. <laughs> I trust God for, I can't do anything on my own, so I trust God for everything. God, your gold is safe, it's secure, I buried it there for you, I did a good job, look at that, it's still there, but God was not happy with that guy. <laughs> he was happy with the two who went out and invested it. When God gives you something, he expects you to go and do something with it. He doesn't want you to trust him for everything, otherwise he wouldn't have given it to you in the first place. He wants you to go do something with it. What I'm saying is this, we have to trust God. That's the, the basic posture of Christianity, is trusting God. But sometimes, for some things, trusting God means trusting what God has already given you. Trusting God means trusting what God has already given you, for some things. 
And this all comes back to a fundamental belief about Christianity. Our God is a unique God. (laughs) Our God is fundamentally relational. He cares about other people, other beings. He is in relationship even within himself. And in order for that to work, the person he's having a relationship with has to have some type of autonomy and say so. So when God breathes life into the dirt to make us, he is giving us this say so. He's given us this domain of power and We can do whatever we want there, even stuff that ticks him off, even stuff that irritates him. We can even do that type of stuff. God's kingdom is not full of mannequins. There might be some margos, but there's no mannequins. It's all people with autonomy and say-so and a spirit of can. To be encouraged... You have to believe that you can, that you can impact things, that you can do things. You have to accept the fact that God has given you something. He's really given you you. He, he doesn't want to control it. He's given you part of you, and that's yours. And so you have to accept that. You have to trust God totally for whatever God wants to be trusted for. But for the things that he's given you, you have to trust that he's given you something that you can trust. And you can trust what God has given you. Um, now, this is advanced personhood, okay? This is not simple stuff. And so as soon as you start thinking that you can do things, there's all sorts of risks and dangers and traps that you can fall into. And I don't have time to go through them all, but there's one in particular I want to talk about right away because it's that important. If you start believing that you can, it's easy to think, well, I just have to go do it then. It's easy to think, well, it must be easy if I can. And that is not the case. You should never let a belief that you can devolve into any type of simplistic, pick yourself up by the bootstraps gibberish, because that's nonsense, okay? Just because we can doesn't mean it's easy. Look at Peter. (laughs) Look at Peter, okay? This guy, he is walking side by side with Jesus during Jesus' entire ministry. He's right there with Jesus. He can, like, touch him. Even on water, they were walking together on water. That's how close Peter was to Jesus. Whenever Jesus taught, there's Peter in the front desk with a sharpened pencil. And at the Last Supper, there's Peter leaning, it says, reclining on the shoulder of the Messiah. Just that's how close, that's how close Peter was. And this guy was a total screw-up. The whole gospel is like this journey of idiocy by Peter, and he doesn't, he just keep doesn't get it. And until the very, very end. And here we are, 2,000 years later, 6,200 miles away. It's tough. And some of us are experiencing, I mean, there's just a thousand varieties of oppressions and economic constraints and mental illnesses. It's not easy at all. Just because we can, it doesn't mean it's easy. Now, some people put their own constraints on themselves. Some people are foolish. They're sinners. They rebel, and they cause their own problems. Other people are oppressed. It's not their fault. Some people, it is their fault. We can't tell who is who and which is which. We can't tell which is which or who is who. We can't judge that. But we don't have to because judging others is something we have to trust God for. That's one of those things that we trust God for. We're not supposed to trust ourselves for that. Isn't that funny how screwed up people get about that? I've even seen people who were in the trust God for everything camp who seem to trust themselves fully to judge others. (laughs) It's funny how we keep that one. That's the very one that we're supposed to give to God. Uh, Now, principalities and powers and wicked structures that oppress, we can judge those. 
And part of encouraging our brothers and sisters who are oppressed is fighting against the structures that keep them from flourishing. So definitely we can, we can judge the systems that oppress people. We just can't judge people. Basically what I'm saying is that just because we believe that we can doesn't mean that we judge people who don't. A belief that you can, it, it's not a club to beat people with. It's a promise to inspire people who are beaten. It's a reason for people to get back up and try again. Living an encouraged and an encouraging life it means spending less energy waiting for God to give me something and more energy trying to make the most out of what God has already given me. But make the most out of what God's given me for what? Well, that's where empowerment comes in. Empowerment is the second part of building an encouraged and an encouraging life. Now, empowerment is based on this idea of power. And in this fundamental concept that power reverses powerlessness. If, if you are powerless to alcohol, it means that you don't have the power to say no to it. And if you did have the power to say no to it, you wouldn't be powerless to it. In that way, power reverses powerlessness. Uh, and so what, what I'm going to talk about is how to get more power over these things. I remember the first time... And I've been working in mental health for a long, long time uh, with depressed people and people with anxiety and addiction. And I remember one of the first times I ever saw occupational therapy. I was, I was a young buck back then. And uh, I just remember thinking, man, this is, all the patients at this time were much older than me because I was so young. And I remember watching these guys. They would be doing these paint-by-numbers or these little balsa wood projects. Little things that like, you would expect a 6th grader or a 7th grader to do, these adults are doing it. Some of these guys were CFOs at corporations, or they had master's degrees or PhDs. And I remember thinking mockingly, these people are adults who are smart, and they have serious problems. And you're giving them little paint by numbers? I remember just thinking, that's just the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> but it helped it helps a lot. There's something about doing things that empowers us. There's something even silly when you're in a, in a discouraged situation where you don't feel powerful, you're depressed, you, maybe you've just ruined your marriage because you can't stop using a chemical or whatever and you just feel like you can't do anything right. There's something about making a black and white drawing colorful that gives you a feeling of power. You've done something good. And it's just like a little tiny step that can start an inertia that can make you feel empowered. Doing things makes us feel empowered. This just makes sense. Because if you think back to our caveman ancestors, all right, who were just roughing it out in nature, just them in the wild, and some hotshot caveman comes along and figures out, you know, if I bend these sticks in the right way and put some hay up here, I can make a nice little home out of that. And at that moment, he is no longer powerless to the weather. He has gained a power over this thing that he was previously powerless to. Now, the city's going to have to come in and check the foundation and stuff like that for sure. But. Or maybe some cave woman comes along and she's cold. And she figures out how to start a fire. She is now no longer powerless to cold. And so whenever we gain a skill or ability, we take power over something that we were powerless to. This is why I think learning a new skill has been shown to decrease all sorts of symptoms in different mental illness uh, experiences. Here are just a few. Uh, learning a new skill has been shown to decrease depression in terminal cancer patients. 
So these are people who have a cancer diagnosis and the doctors can't do anything else about it and they're going to die. And yet, and so they're depressed about that because that's depressing. And yet, learning a new skill, even in that situation, it decreases their feeling of depression. Even though they're not going to be able to use that skill for very long, it still does. Isn't that wild? That's fantastic. Learning a new skill decreases emotional eating in people who suffer from eating disorders. Uh, it decreases the social pressure to be thin for people who experience eating disorders. Learning a new skill helps alcoholics control their alcohol consumption. It reduces the risk of relapse for drug addicts. Just learning a new skill. There's something about getting a new power that helps with the powerlessness that fuels addiction, depression, and anxiety. It's true that empowered people, they do things. But it also seems true that people who do things become empowered. And so I think this is why the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians, work with your hands. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Work with your hands. Do something that you can see. Look at what you're doing that you're you have power here, and that's evidence of how much power you have. It's such a strange thing in a book that's supposed to be spiritual. Work with your hands. But I think there's a good reason for it, because it empowers us. Encouragement means believing that we can, first of all. It means being able to trust what God has already given us. But it also means building up what God has given us. That's where empowerment comes from. When you build up what God has given you, that is empowerment. I think of the David and Goliath story. Well, actually, I think about this story a lot. I just love this story. And I know it's cliche, it's the underdog story or whatever, but there's just so many lessons and nuggets in there that are still untapped, I believe. And in this case, man, David and Goliath is a great illustration of the power of skills because you know the story. David is this little boy and he conquers the giant, right? And how does he do that? How does this little boy defeat the giant? Well, if you read children's books, what they say is that he was able to conquer the giant because of his great faith. God saw his great faith, and because David had such great faith, God basically killed the giant for him, basically, is what the, the children's books will say. But we know here that Christ on the cross represents who God really is. And so God would rather lay down his life than to kill his enemy. And so we know that God didn't kill Goliath. David did. David killed Goliath. He even tells us how he does it. Uh, in 1 Samuel 15 is where the story takes place. Saul is the king of Israel, and he's got his armor, he's got his spear, he's got his shield, but he's terrified of Goliath. He doesn't want to go in there. All of Saul's soldiers are terrified of Goliath. They don't want to fight either. They've, they're trained warriors, and they won't fight this guy. And then here comes this punk kid, all right? This punk kid comes in and says, well, I'll fight him. And Saul's like, give me one good reason why I should let you go in and fight a giant because there's a lot on the line here. They will lose this whole hill or whatever it is they're fighting for if they lose this battle. Give me one good reason why I should even let you go in there to begin with. And David gives him a good reason. He says, listen, I'm, yeah, I'm only 15, but I've been tending my father's sheep since I was very young. And sometimes when I'm tending my father's sheep alone out in the field, a bear or a lion will come and snatch one of my sheep. And I have to go after the bear or the lion and rescue the sheep. I have to go in there and sometimes I'll grab the back of the hair of the bear. See, he even has little tactics that he talks about. I learned that this works here. I grab it right here and pull back. And sometimes if you can get leverage out of a tree. He's figured this out. He's learned how to fight these big beasts. And he tells Saul, this giant is no different than a bear. And if you think about it, the giant is probably better than a bear. I would rather face a big person than a bear. 
I mean, have you seen those claws that a bear has? And, and so the David and Goliath story is a story about an underdog, but David's not the underdog. Goliath was the underdog the whole time, even though everybody thought that David was. No, David had skills, and it was those skills that empowered David to be able to defeat the giant. Notice, too, that David didn't go to school to learn how to defeat a giant. That's just a blessing that life gave him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for putting me in the situation where I have to fight a bear or a lion as a 12 or a 13-year-old. Wow, thanks. But that's the situation life gave him. And in that situation, he faced this traumatic thing. I mean, can you imagine a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy up against a bear or a lion? How traumatic that must have been? Barbara and I, uh, who's not a mannequin, by the way, <laughs> she's, she does lights. She lights up my life. But Barbara and I were trying to figure out where to put our hand towels in the bathroom. A very important decision. Because if it goes here, the door doesn't open right, and it's just, we can't figure out where to put them. So we're in there on Thursday morning. We're trying to make a decision. And a spider crawls out from underneath a washcloth. I freaked. I mean, it's just a little guy, you know, like, like that big. It's like the size of an earplug. And you're laughing, but I almost pooped my pants, all right? Imagine being 12 years old fighting against a lion or a bear. That is terrifying. But in facing that, David got this unique superpower, really. He's able to defeat a giant. Because of that horrible traumatic experience, he learned how to conquer beasts way bigger than him. I believe, I believe this. I believe that everybody here has very profoundly unique experiences. A lot of them probably suck. Maybe you've been abused, maybe you've been betrayed, maybe you've been poor, maybe you've been rich and popular with high expectations. Whatever it is, maybe you grew up and you had to take care of, an, of a sick relative and so you didn't really have any life of your own. I mean, there's just, there's an infinite amount of sucky narratives that you could possibly have lived through. But I believe that each of those sucky things, if you've lived through it, there's a superpower there that you got. I believe that you can tap into that and there's a power that you can tap into. Learning a new skill, yeah, that empowers us. But so does tapping into these unique things that school can't teach us. These things that only we experience that are unique to us. The more you build up what God has given you and the more you tap into what life has given you, the more impact that you can have on the world around you, the more say-so that you're going to have in God's kingdom. The more you invest the bags of gold that God gives you, the more of a return you're going to get and the more that God can use you. That's what empowerment is. This is not to earn your salvation or to prove to God how much you love him or to prove what a good boy or good girl you are. It's simply because you're grateful for the bounty of opportunities that God gives you and he could use your help and you want to help. And let me see what I can do. And for some people, this might sound very self-centered. You know, it's just this self-development stuff. It's just this psychobabble about becoming a better person. It's just very self-oriented. And that's a real risk. Like I said, this is advanced personhood, okay? There are risks. When you believe that you can, one of the risks is you can become uh, obsessed with self-development. You can become this self-obsessed. You kind of get in this drunken daze of improving yourself. And that's a risk that you can run. But the opposite risk is even worse. When you say that, well, a good Christian forgets about themselves. 
A good Christian doesn't think about themselves. That's a worse risk because all of the things that God calls us to do, it requires us to think about ourselves. We can't, for instance, be charitable if we haven't produced anything to give. And we have to be self-oriented in order to produce something worth giving. We can't be servants if we don't have a skill or ability to serve others with. And so you have to be able to figure out and monitor yourself and you have to be able to look at yourself so you can develop these skills so that you can serve others. In order to be self-sacrificial, we have to have things that are worth sacrificing for others. There's a certain level of self-centeredness you have to have in order to do the things that God calls you to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, you have to be able to have some of that. So it's a risk to become self-obsessed, but at the same time, you have to have a little bit of that. I know it doesn't feel like it, but summer's here. <laughs> it's, I, I know it's here. I know it's here. I know it's here. It's, next weekend is Memorial Day weekend. And... Um, if you're listening to this sermon and you're thinking, you know what, I feel like I, like I kind of connect with this. I feel like I live a pretty encouraged life. And I feel like I do have a spirit of can. That is fantastic. And I hope that God is using that for uh, good things to enrich the kingdom. But if you're listening to this and you feel like you're not as encouraged as you would like to be, if you feel like, I don't know, maybe life has become stagnant, and maybe you're bored. I mean, we have a bad habit in this country, don't we? Of as soon as we're done with school, <laughs> I'm done learning, I'm done growing. I've, as soon as we get whatever skill we need to pay for our man cave or our vacation home or whatever, that's all I need. And we just stop growing. But our spirits are made to grow. Uh, and so maybe you're feeling bored and stagnant. Here's what I recommend. Uh, I recommend this summer, learn a new skill or develop one of your abilities. Um, and don't just do leisure stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely do leisure stuff. It's summertime, man. You know, do jet skis or hunting or whatever it is that you do. Um, I hope you don't hunt. But if you do, you know, whatever. Whatever you do for fun, whatever you do. I'm wearing this, you know, save the animals hoodie and I'm telling you to go hunting. So whatever you do for fun, do that. But don't only do that, okay? Do some stuff that aren't just experiences. We're really good at America at having good experiences, but we're not as good at building up a self. And so do some things that, that builds you up, that makes you more effective, that makes you more powerful, that you can be used to do more things. Because a lot of times we get fixated on having fun and having good experiences, but we also need to build ourselves up so that we have something to give. And so this summer, learn a new skill. To whatever ability you can, uh, and I know people have different limitations on this, but whatever ability you can, use your hands. Like, do something physical. Don't just sit and do crossword puzzles. Don't just sit and think about God. Do something physical, like maybe watercolor, or maybe paint a barn, or learn how to uh, build something. Or, uh, you know, <laughs> Barbara is such an inspiration to me. This lady, this is my wife, this lady, not only does she garden, which is a great thing to do, by the way, to figure out. Uh, but she also taps our maple trees. And so she gets maple syrup from our trees, and then she makes maple syrup. And so all year, we've got this sweet, delicious ooze that we can put in our tea and put on our pancakes. And she figured that out, and we have this whole process. And that's not enough. She also rescues butterflies. So you've seen butterflies. They're like these bow ties that flutter around all summer. What they do is they plant their eggs on milkweed. Okay, and 
and these are in the ditches of our roads. And they plant these little eggs on milkweed. And then the city comes along, because they're so helpful, and they spray pesticides all over the ditches. And all of the butterfly eggs die. So what Barbara does is she goes out and she rescues these eggs and she brings them home and she's got this whole setup. And so last year we did 57 butterflies. And she, she raises them from eggs and they turn into little caterpillars and then they turn into butterflies and where they turn into larvae and then butterflies and so forth. And then we release them. We have a little release party for each one that we release. And it's just, it's the type of thing, all of these types of things they give your life this little purpose and this little power that I can make a difference and I can do something and that builds empowerment and that's ultimately what leads to encouragement. Don't talk yourself down on this stuff. As soon as you believe that you can, that's when all of the voices of can't will start pummeling you. <laughs> that's when I, there's a thousand reasons why you can't and you're going to hear things like you're too old, you're, uh, it's too late for you or what has God given you or you can't learn. Listen, <laughs> There has never been an organism on this planet, and as far as I know in the whole universe, but there's never been an organism on this planet that is a better learner than you. You can learn, and you have learned so much. Think of a toddler. And I know you've seen toddlers. Every other post on social media is a toddler doing something, and they're cute as a button for sure. But have you ever watched them eat? I mean, they got their mashed potatoes and peas. They can't find their mouth, right? They got potato here, they've got potato here, they've got peas all over the place. Somehow there's a pea in the bathroom. I don't know how that even got there, right? They can't walk across the room without falling over or leaking fluids. You try to have a conversation with one of these things and you're like, hey, what do you think about analytic epistemology? And they look at you like your hair is on fire, you know? They're not done yet, they're not ripe. But you used to be one of those. And look at how far you've come. Look at all the things. You know, I feel really bad because last week David said that he didn't like his kids until they were 18 months old. And here I am making fun of toddlers. If this is your first time here, <laughs> we love kids in this church. <laughs> hey, help out in our children's ministry. <sighs> but the point is, the point is, there is a point. The point is, is that we've come so far and we've learned so much. We've learned how to eat. We've learned how to walk. We've learned how to drive. We've learned how to negotiate life. We can do very subtle, complex things. We can detect when somebody is sad when they're trying not to reveal that they're sad. We can detect BS a mile away. Someone comes to us with some BS sales pitch, we know when it's too good to be true. Those are all very subtle things that we learned. A lot of times we can kind of lose touch with what we've learned because in America, you know, and there's no way around this, I guess, but in school we grow up and as soon as you learn something, you get kicked on to the next thing. You're done with that. You have to learn this now. And then you get kicked on to the next thing. You have no time to sit and appreciate what you just learned. You don't, don't you want to just dwell in what you know for a while? I worked so hard to know this and then now all of a sudden I got to go do this. So we lose track of everything that we've learned but man, we've learned so much. We've got so much knowledge there that we can tap into. And so you can learn. 
new things. But you can also uncover the superpowers that you have within. And this is what I encourage you to do is tap in to your past. Tap into that vault of experiences you have and look for the things that caused you pain and caused you joy or things that you overcame. There is something there I guarantee that you can use to help somebody else. Maybe you've experienced bankruptcy and you worked your way out of bankruptcy. Or maybe you were sexually abused and you've worked yourself back to normalcy. And maybe even work yourself back to sexual normalcy. There are many, many, many boys and girls and men and women who need your wisdom on that because that is a tough road to hoe. So dig in for those secret superpowers and then hunt for opportunities to use them. We have a ministry here on Thursdays called The Refuge, which you might be able to check out. There's, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of cool stuff that we do there. People who go there with different needs, there are probably things that you can do to serve there. Um, but there are opportunities all around. The more skill and ability that you develop, the more you develop what God has given you, the more power that you'll have over your surroundings, the more say-so that you'll have, uh, and the more encouraged you will be and the more encouraging you will be. Man, when somebody is doing something with their lives and they're active and they're pursuing things, aren't you just drawn to that? I mean, that's, people are drawn to people who are doing things. I'm telling you, the more encouraged you are and the more you build yourself up, build up what God has given you, the more you're going to draw people in and be able to help them. Uh, at this time, if you would like to start a journey and embark on this journey of empowerment, if you're new to the faith and if you have a prayer request, um, I would like to ask the prayer team to come forward. Come on up and ask for prayer. Uh, otherwise, if I don't see you, have a great summer full of leisure and also skill development and ability development. And uh, uh, have a blessed summer, you guys. Hey, guys. Just a quick reminder that this is the final week for our Sustain campaign. We'd love for you to prayerfully consider signing up. Just go to whchurch.org sustain. We love you guys. Have a great week.